AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. U.S. President Joe Biden has issued a wide-ranging executive order to safeguard against threats posed by artificial intelligence, or AI. Overall, the batch of reforms amounts to the strongest actions any government has taken on AI safety and security. You've got the ability to do facial recognition, or if that makes folks uncomfortable, they will pull that back a bit and do demographic recognition. That will say, Oh, hi! A year. That's a big, fat lie. It is a bit like gun control. Um, you know, uh, good people will uh, own and use their guns responsibly, and uh, bad people will, uh, will abuse them. Whoa, careful there, Annie Oakley. I don't have to be careful. I got a gun. The U.S. government putting in safeguards for AI development and the case for AV experience centers. All that and more next on AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 637, recorded Friday, November 3rd, 2023. AV Experience Centers. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of the biggest AV news in the week. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, Lauren Simmon. First of all, she's from Crestron. Secondly, she is part of the brand spanking new class of 40 under 40 for commercial integrator. Howdy, ma'am. Hello, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I will point out that she is the only person on this panel that is eligible <clears throat> for that 40 under 40, including me. Uh, Brock McGinnis is, of course, here from Nationwide. Welcome, sir. Glad to be here, Tim. And just to remember, Brock is the elder statesman. Barely, like by two months, Brad. For... No, but that's his name. He is the elder statesman. He is the elder statesman, yes. The, the voice you hear if you're, if you're not watching is Bradford Ben. Uh, the nemesis of my life, but also a very good dear friend and from Advisors. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yes, Brock and I are two well-known characters on the social media with Brock being the elder statesman and me being the irascible industry icon. There we go. Irascible. It's always a different eye each time. First story, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden has issued a wide-ranging executive order to safeguard against threats posed by artificial intelligence, or AI. The order aims to ensure AI systems are safe and trustworthy before companies make them public. Measures include requiring AI companies to conduct safety tests and share results with the government, establishing industry standards like watermarks to identify AI content, and strict oversight of government agencies using AI. While experts say the order strikes the right tone, some question whether it has sufficient power to bring about an industry-wide shift. Overall, the batch of reforms amounts to the strongest actions any government has taken on AI safety and security. White House said, quote, unquote, these measures will ensure AI systems are safe, secure, and trustworthy before companies make them public. We will see Number one, it's an executive order. For those of you who are not, that are not familiar with U.S. government and the laws, this is something the president can do. He can sign a piece of paper and says, Bradford Ben has to grow hair or something, right? And then Bradford has to do it. Um, Lauren, we're going to start with you, not to pick on Crestron, but you guys do have uh, an AI system uh, purchasing one beyond a couple of years ago. When you look at this, what, what do these safeguards mean for the industry as a whole and, and, and AV using AI? Well, I, I think it was only a matter of time, first of all, before this came down, right? It, it's, it's here. We have, to, we have to plan for it. Um, 
In terms of the AI industry, I think that it'll actually be good long-term. Uh, just like when you know security protocols for networks and, and cybersecurity protocols came down, um, it provided a standard that our organization, that our industry and our customers could stand behind and push out to their customers to know that they are safe. For us, you know, looking at the technologies that we use with AI, we have to be very careful, not only by being able to say what we can do, but what we cannot do uh, to make sure that our customers who are utilizing our technology feel safe and feel like we're not taking too much of their information. Um, so I think overall it will be good for the industry. I think there's obviously going to be some um, hurdles and, and things that we have to understand and how to utilize and, and how to understand um, these orders and, and what is safe and, and what the guidelines are. But overall, I do think it'll be good for the industry. Um, it'll make sure everybody is playing to the, the same security features. Bradford, uh, you work with a lot of clients, uh, most of them uh, in the U.S. Brock, I'm going to leave you on the last here because this doesn't impact you directly, but some of the manufacturers that you work with certainly it will. Bradford, when you talk to clients, how big of a deal is this and how much are they asking for some of these safeguards, some for some of these guardrails? So one of the challenges I've been having with this is what is AI and what is just cool processing? AI has become such a buzzword of artificial intelligence that people are like, oh, we're doing echo canceling through AI. And I'm like, no, echo canceling's existed since the late 80s, and there sure wasn't any AI back then. So I think that's the first thing is defining clearly to the people what is AI and what isn't. Uh, the other thing is, of course, privacy that comes along with that. Uh, because you have facial recognition and AI looking at your habits as you walk through spaces. Yeah. And some of that AI stuff gets a little scary when you look at it from just metrics of you going through a store and having a tracking device. I mean, a, a phone with Bluetooth or Wi-Fi on it, you know, voluntarily. So some of this AI stuff is already out of the bag. Uh, what you can do with it, I think, is an important thing, but I think, as Lauren said, it's kind of one layer removed from us. Uh, we have to tell them it's being used, just like you have to with open so source software, uh, of you're using it, here's the license. Uh, so I think there's that, but there's also some other interesting things that come to us that people might not be thinking about with AI and how it would impact us. Uh, like the watermarks, for instance. We all know about my personal bugaboo of HDCP, high definition uh, copy protection. Uh, is that gonna be on AI? So that you can't put AI generated content on certain places. And what makes that even more interesting is there are some rules that say anything generated by AI cannot be copywritten. So if you're doing digital signage, you're going to use AI to generate that like a background. Where does that put you? And I see that's where the bigger issue is going to become is in the content creation. And if we have to implement anything to follow the executive order. And I think this is the exact same problem we had 10 years ago with tracking on phones and the exact same problem 20 years before that with, you know, just pick your invasive technology uh, that's not being monitored 
and I think it's one of those things of it's going to keep honest people honest and nefarious people nefarious unless the watermarks are done correctly and all those types of things. I think the bigger concern is for content. All right. Brock, I, I mentioned the fact that you are in Canada, so this executive order does not impact you directly. However, you purchased a number of, of AV products from U.S. manufacturers. In addition, you've got folks like Microsoft, who is already using uh, a version of AI. This is what uh, is called Copilot for, for Microsoft. In addition, you've got digital advertising that Bradford already mentioned. You've got the ability to do facial recognition, or if that makes folks uncomfortable, they will pull that back a bit and do demographic recognition. That will say that either... Oh, hi! <laughs> That's a big, fat lie. It, no, it is. They, they will pull it back. I've Anyhow... You, we can disagree. This is not the place to debate that. But it will say that either Lauren is walking down the street and will serve up one type of ad based on the demographic of a woman, or you're walking down the street and a demographic of a man walking down. Uh, Brock, what kind of, of – I don't want to say chilling effect because it, it sounds negative, but what kind of effect in general could these constraints from the U.S. government first, but certainly other governments will follow suit, have on innovation in the industry? Uh, I hope they have. Um, I hope they have a lot of impact uh, on innovation because uh, Bradford is is absolutely right. The the issue here is privacy, um, and uh, you know it. Uh, those of us who are cautious uh, can take steps not to share um, our information as soon as it uh, starts going to our likeness. Um, it's a big deal. Uh, you know we have a uh, we have. Uh, a new employee uh, at Nationwide, and I was going to make a public announcement uh, about her joining us, and um, and asked if she would mind if I shared her photo, and she said, "I do mind. Please don't, don't publish a photo." Um, and uh, and uh, I think that that's uh, that's an outstanding approach in this day and age when. So much can be gleaned automatically by people scraping databases and uh, and scraping digital recordings um, and and camera feeds. So, uh, you know, I I don't know if if Mr. Biden um, is simply attempting to uh, you know to, to put himself in front of the American public as uh, being aware of the dangers of AI and. And wanting to be seen, to do to be doing something about it, and addressing people's concerns, or whether this will actually have an impact, um, you know, uh, Bradford's uh, nefarious comment. It is a bit like gun control. Um, you know, uh, good people will uh, own and use their guns responsibly, and uh, bad people will uh, will abuse them uh, to the detriment of all. And uh, and so. AI is is in that category, uh, you know. Circling back to a comment that Lauren had made, um, we're going to be driven by our customers. Uh, they're going to tell us what their concerns are. I, um, you know, I remember, as I'm sure Bradford does, the days of of uh, meeting rooms uh, where people couldn't use wireless microphones because they were aware uh, or, or they were concerned about um, conversations. Uh, being overheard via 
radio frequencies and, and so we started selling different kinds of systems. Uh, there are lots of conference rooms now where, um, where people would really rather not be using video conferencing that is being uh, transmitted over the public internet. Um, you know, uh, both uh, inside government and the defense industries and, and particularly in the financial industries. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see our clients and the privacy experts uh, in industry and public policy. And, and privacy is, has a very strong place, certainly in Canadian public policy. Um, will uh, will end up dictating, and then we'll see what impact that has. Um, uh, it, but Bradford's right; a lot of a lot of AI is just machine learning. Um, it's uh, uh, it's the rest of it that is uh, is potentially very frightening. Someone should call Josh Shrago on this. This is like a hundred percent. For those of you who are new to to AV Nation, uh, Josh Shrago is an old friend who came from the industry and decided the industry needed a lawyer. Uh, and so he went and got a law degree. Exactly in what Brock's talking about. And he hasn't came back yet, though. He hasn't, he hasn't gotten back yet. It appears from AV Magazine by Paul Bray. Bray goes into the customer experience centers, these quote-unquote high-tech showrooms used by many brands, including Crestron, uh, to showcase products and solutions are growing in popularity. Bray critiques these spaces, arguing that they are just expensive showrooms that fail to connect with customers. Supporters say experience centers will allow brands to fully demonstrate products like smart home tech in an interactive setting. Some centers cost millions to build, Proponents claim that the investment pays off through increased sales, but skeptics say many lack staff with sufficient tech knowledge or have confusing layouts. Uh, Bradford, with experience centers on the rise globally, and you were a part of a number of them uh, when you were at Harman, what are the pros and what are the cons of these experience centers around the world? So the first thing I'll say is just like everything else, it all depends on the staffing and how it's used. Uh, the biggest thing about experience centers that a lot of people forget about is it gives the sell the selling party, the vendor, a way to get their client or their purchaser out of their office and into your lair, so to speak. And this sounds odd, but it was one of the reasons so many of these demo trucks go around and one of the reasons you know, they're so good as it takes you out of the conference room. It brings you into their lair. Now, in terms of the experience center versus just the fancy showroom, that is huge when done correctly. Uh, and it becomes a huge selling tool as well as a client, I don't want to say bonding, but you need to, to build a rapport. Relationship building. Yeah, that's the phrase I'm looking for, but that's kind of cliche. It's cliche because it works. I mean, it, it's honestly what you're doing. And it's, I used the Harmon one for that quite a bit. Uh, the thing was, is I would bring in clients and I would set up the, the system to be their use case. And to me, that is the thing that a lot of people miss. And I'm sure Lauren can talk about this. Uh, I haven't been to the Crestron one yet, but I'm sure it's something they talk about. The way a theme park client uses it is very different than a football stadium, which is very different than, you know, financials. And if it's a hockey team, you don't even need to, to bother putting an AV system if they're from Toronto. Now, wait, ho, 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 whoa, back up a second. 
I will give Brock crap all day long about the hockey team. But the AV in that stadium is one of the best in the NHL. That ice projection is outstanding. Yes. But the big thing is, is if you go into an experience center and the experience is not the right one, it's a waste of money. And that is where a lot of people are going to struggle. And I've seen them struggle is what story do I tell? and this is gonna sound like I'm bashing salespeople, but it's true. How many people come in and this is the script and this is what I'm going to sell you. That's not what an experience center should be. That's a showroom. Let me show you things. Experience center, let's create and you can have an experience. Uh, So I think they're a very powerful tool when used well. I think they're worth the investment. Uh, I think some of the points that have been brought up is who has the wherewithal to do everything in an experience center. And there are very few companies who do. Because how many people do everything from video displays, you know, to the tables? Yeah. But those are the things to talk about. And I think the, the, the harmonized, sorry, bad word, uh, experience center where let's look at these are the tables and the equipment racks we can use these are the lighting solution these are the cameras and giving someone that interaction is huge i also think as someone who's been experiencing with software is now the product your user interface is as much responsible for adoption and use as anything else being able to have a customer come in and experience it before it gets installed and have that feedback. And I'm assuming that's going on at the Crestron site. That right there is worth the price of admission and the price of building it because you're lowering your costs and having a happier customer. All right. Brock, as somebody who does take customers, I'm assuming, uh, to some form of, of an experience center, what are the pros and cons of these? What, what is the, the benefit? You know, the challenge of being on one of these shows with Bradford is that if there's anything intelligent to say, he will have said it first. Why, thank you, Brock. uh, Maybe we should just make him go last for the rest of the show. From a sales perspective, uh, you've already made the sale once you get the customer to the experience. Okay. That's that's really... um, uh, That's really it. Because once they have an opportunity uh, to touch and uh, and interact with and quote unquote experience what it is you're trying to sell um, you know you're just confirming why why they would spend the time uh, and the money to be able to go and you know Andrew Edwards in our industry figured this out sorry Lauren um, many many years ago that if you could get people to the factory in California if you could eat at his restaurant um, hang out with his team that uh, you were going to develop uh, a, a great degree of respect and loyalty um, for that product. And I, I think that within audiovisual, he was, uh, uh, you know, he was the leader. I know as an integrator, uh, we have a large uh, showroom space, um, but we actually uh, use it for proof of concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got uh, walls that are, are drywall walls that end up with various combinations of uh, displays and video conferencing hardware and uh, fully built racks. Um, we have a podium, uh, you know, lectern, microphone, speakers, and things. 
um, that uh, allow someone who doesn't who doesn't get who's not in audiovisual to actually understand what a DSP is when it's turned on when it's turned off what echo cancellation is turned on turned off and uh, can physically experience the difference between a 98 inch display and an 85 inch or uh, more to the point right now is whether they're looking at 1.5 mil LED, 1.2 mil LED, or 0.9 mil LED, and and how that reacts. And they can't tell, they can't appreciate the value differential um, between those without seeing them. You know, is one worth $150,000 more than the other? Uh, and so, yes, experience centers are a big deal. Uh, but my sense is that as a as a reseller, um, once I have people at my shop, I've I've already uh, I've already made the sale, and they're just trying to decide whether they're going to buy uh, the low cost solution, the mid price solution, uh, or what I really want to sell them. All right, Lauren, uh, as somebody who, and really quickly, Andrew Edwards, the the gentleman that that Brock mentioned there, of course, is the founder of Extron. Uh, external electronics out of Anaheim. Um, Lauren, when you got as somebody who has experience centers, talk for a second about the benefits from the manufacturer's standpoint. And, and the one thing I want to highlight here is that, and I want you to differentiate between an experience center and, and the benefits of those versus a trade show or even a regional trade show, right? Because there you can get your hands on the product, right? But there are certain differences. Yeah, so there's uh, we we do have obviously have a couple of showrooms or uh, CECs as we call them experience centers, and we are fortunate to have probably one of the best experience center teams in the world. Um, they do a phenomenal job of working with our sales teams to both Bradford and Brock's points. Before we have customers coming in, they dig deep and say, "What is it the customer is looking for? What are their challenges? What are they coming in to solve for?" And we'll do exactly what you guys said, and and we'll. You know, we have flipped the entire experience center to be one customer's logo because they were bringing everybody in. We wanted them to visualize, this is my space. Uh, so, yeah. you know, the, the team, the pre-work is probably more important than once they get there. Because once they get there, it's just the the immersion into that, ex that space. They're looking around, maybe not seeing, catching everything. Um, but it really, you do want to immerse them into that experience. And I think that's where you have the difference between a showroom or a trade show is that the experience center really is meant to bring them in and almost make them feel like they're living a day in the life of what they could be having um, versus a trade show where you don't really get to see the technologies in action, particularly on the video side, the, the conferencing side, because unless you're crazy like Crushron and you build an entirely soundproof room to do, you know, a, a, our sightline demo. Or, and or bringing a tiny house. And somehow manage to bring your own internet. That, yeah. And that's a huge, a huge issue. Um, and so, you know, trade shows allow us to get customers to understand, you know, the technology. They allow us to go deeper, show a wide breadth of things. But the experience centers really do, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, get us to help the customers experience what it could be like. The other side of it, too, um, that we've seen, and I don't want to bring up the P word, but during the pandemic, experience centers essentially shut down, right? Nobody was able to come in. Nobody wanted to travel there. And so we had to, we had this big space. Well, what do we do with it? Uh, with all the technology advancements, particularly intelligent video, we actually use our experience centers about half the time for remote demos to show the different technologies that we have. Because if you're buying a video conferencing system based on the intelligent video, sitting in the room may not be the best, may not be the experience you're looking to see. You want to see how it performs on the far end. 
So we do a lot of remote demos, both in the New Jersey office, as well as the one up in Boston, particularly for intelligent video. Um, and the one up our, our experience center in Boston is not an in-person, it's only a remote demo. Um, and so we, we try and tie all that together to really capitalize on what the customer is looking for and show them how to fix, how we can solve their problems and then maybe show them what's next. Cause we don't want to just solve today's problem, but we want to show them we can solve tomorrow's problem too, which is, you know, Brock, I think where the software comes in and where that's the pre-release products come in. So, um, you know, that's, that, that's our thoughts on the experience centers. That's a great place to stop. I, I, I like that. All right. Uh, thank you all so much. Mr. McGinnis, uh, how do people connect with you or Nationwide? Um, we're nationwideav.com, uh, and uh, you can certainly find us on, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm at Brock McGinnis on the platform X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, but I'm not there very much anymore, and I'm certainly not there uh, doing business. Occasionally, I'll post something about food, which is uh, uh, something I'm interested in most days. Um, and uh, you know, find me personally on LinkedIn. Right. Tell me however you like. Ultimately, you'll come to me. All right, Mr. Bradford Ben, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you or Advisist? You can go to advisist.com or Bradford Ben on LinkedIn uh, or Advisist on LinkedIn. I am not on any of those social media platforms owned by the Muskrat or the Zuckerberg. So it would be LinkedIn, Blue Sky, or Mastodon. All right. Lauren Simmon uh, from Crestron, thank you so much. And congratulations again on the 40 under 40. Uh, how do people connect with you or Crestron? Thanks, Tim. Yeah, so Crestron.com, uh, uh, Crestron's on all the social media platforms. For me personally, LinkedIn is, is mostly where I spend my time. All right, very good. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me anywhere, uh, not on LinkedIn, not on X, uh, in nowhere, uh, but go by the website. If you would, please, avianation.tv. It's avianation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, a couple things coming down the pipeline. Uh, I will be in New York at Pace University at the end of this month. It's November already. Uh, hanging out with the, the, the Bald AV guys uh, at Pace, and then shortly thereafter, going to the uh, DSC and LDI, and uh, Patrick and I just booked our tickets to CES. So if you're going to CES, um, yeah, we'll go. Yeah, Bradford, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm going Wait, to CES. I just want to know why Lauren didn't invite you to the Experience Center in Northern Jersey as soon as you said you were going to New York. I, I, I don't blame you for not wanting them there. Getting to the I, I fully understand that. Because <laughs> I'm not there. Because she's not there, exactly. Uh, I mentioned this a couple of times. I'll mention it again. We've got a brand new uh, AV user only LinkedIn group. Uh, this, we're also creating content just for that. And because of this group, and I mentioned this because all four of us are some way, shape or form, rabid sports fans, we're gonna have a conversation on LinkedIn about how important AV and sports fandom is. So you can check that out on the LinkedIn group. Uh, Citizens of AV Nation is what it's called. So all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Aaron Marmoran of EdTech. The world of higher ed AV is growing rapidly. That's why each month we hear from the best and brightest from colleges and universities all over the U.S. 
Check out EdTech on avnation.tv or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.